the kids head out, I'd like to pray with you for a minute as we look into God's word. You know, Father, it just never ceases to amaze me how your word through your spirit is just made very personal to us. And we can get up in a setting like this and the first prayer would be that you would be honored, that you would speak through your servant. And the second would be that we would just have a deep level of receptivity, that on a very personal level we would say, I'm just open, Lord, to whatever you want to speak into my life, how you want to encourage me, how you want to challenge me, how you want to shape me, whatever that means, Lord, whatever that means, I'm open. And so, Lord, as we consider your word, we thank you for it. We thank you how it is a revelation of you and then how it just has that personal impact. And we invite you to do that now for your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. They were half asleep, but they still had that capacity through long practice to be quite alert and to be aware of their surroundings and to keep careful watch over their sheep. Because for them, it was basically a life and death thing. If they lost all their herd, flock of sheep, there was no insurance back then. And there'd be no way to make money, no way to have an income, nothing to eat, nothing to wear, and they might die. It was a life and death thing. A little fire going, some of them sitting down, leaning against a rock, maybe one or two of them taking a short nap, taking turns walking around the perimeter of the flock, making sure that the sheep were cared for. It was another long cold night, just like countless ones they'd already experienced. When all of a sudden, everything changed, and they were catapulted into what I would call search mode. And so this first Sunday of the Christmas season, as we celebrate and move through Advent, the coming of Christ, the focal point of everything we do at Christmas, we begin this first Sunday of Advent with the search. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke is that third book in the New Testament. It's the third of four stories about the life of Jesus, written under the inspiration of the Spirit, um, from four different perspectives on the life of Christ. And Luke was a historian and a medical practitioner, And he wrote the book of Luke and then a follow-up book called the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church. But listen to him as he records from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verses 8 through 20, the story of the shepherds, the angel, and the baby. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Incredible news. And these shepherds, who were busy doing their job, were the first people that were privileged with the message that the Messiah has come. The one that they'd been expecting all through the Old Testament era. The one who is to be the savior of the world. God with us, scripture says. Emmanuel, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And so this angel appears to them. And he says to them in verse 12, it's an interesting thing. He says, this will be the sign. This is going to be the dead giveaway that will enable you to recognize the real deal. The one that you've been expecting generation after generation after generation. The arrival of the king, the Messiah. And I want you to imagine with me for a moment, because I don't think they're that unlike us at all, these shepherds. Imagine what these shepherds might have been thinking at that moment when he said, this will be the sign. I'm guessing, and this is just a guess, but I'm guessing they're thinking to themselves, I've, I've got to go and clean myself up. I've got to put on, you know, I've got my work clothes on right now. I've got I've to shave. I've got to wash my face. I've got to comb my hair if only I had some hair. I've got to change my clothes and make myself presentable because this is going to be incredibly impressive. We are going to see a royal child that's been born. God with us, the King of Kings, the Savior. And surely we're going to go there and this baby is going to be dressed in the finest silk, in purple cloth, which is the most expensive kind of cloth that they had at that time. Probably designed by Gucci and Versace. Lying in a handmade crib made out of solid maple. Eating only the finest prepared foods by Annabelle Carmel as she makes her or her organic baby puree. Only the best for this baby. Living in a seven-star fabulous abode. Because after all, that's how kings come into the world, right? And we all sort of think this way. Um, I've been to Israel a couple of times, as many of you know. I've been to Bethlehem many times. I've... Uh, sat in Bethlehem at night, walked through Bethlehem and sat in Bethlehem at night and, and looked out on the sort of rolling hills 
uh, surrounding the city. And I've imagined this passage. I've seen flocks of, of sheep and shepherds there. And I've imagined this passage unfolding in that very environment. I sat in a tent once, Debbie and I did, with 150, 200 people with the, the, the huge tent with the sides all open so you can look over the hills and imagine this scene unfolding. And, and basically, it's interesting because when you go into Bethlehem, the one spot in all of Israel where there, it, it's undisputed what took place is the Church of the Nativity, the church commemorating the place where Jesus was born. Um, if you know anything about that place, the, the scholars have, will often say, you know, well, the resurrection took place here, and they'll have two or three possible sites. Or this story in the scripture took place here, and they'll have two or three possible sites. And they have good reasons, pros and cons, why they believe this. But the one spot that's undisputed that basically every scholar will sign off on is this is the spot where Jesus was born. And actually, there's three churches built on that spot. And imagine, just like the shepherds, what conclusions you might jump to. And these are the conclusions they've jumped to. I took some pictures when I was there one time of the three churches, and I've got more pictures than this. But when you look at those pictures, you'll see it's, it's very fancy. It's very ornate. There's gold everywhere. It's kind of quiet there, but there's, there's different priests from different churches walking around, sort of policing the area. And the third picture of three that you're going to see there uh, is the picture of a guy, and he's got this peaked hood on his hat, and he's an Armenian priest. And the, the peaked hood on his head commemorates uh, Mount um, Ararat in Turkey. And so it's quite quiet there, but it's quite a grumpy place. It's kind of sad. It's a very commercial place, some of these sites. And I thought to myself, we often do that as well. We sort of jump to the conclusions that I think the shepherds might have initially jumped to. If you look, for example, here in our own culture, what do the nativity sets look like that we put up in our houses? The crutches that we put up in our houses, they're very neat. The people in the scene that are pictured in the nativity scene look like they just got out of the shower. Everything looks pressed and prim and proper because this is how we often view earthly kings in our minds. But the angel doesn't say that. He says to them in verse 12 of Luke 2, he says, this will be a sign. You're going to find the baby wrapped in cloths, which are actually just strips of cloth that they've torn and wrapped him in. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And we've probably all used or we've all heard the expression, were you born in a barn? As a matter of fact, Jesus was born in a barn, or at least their equivalent of it in that culture. And a barn, at least the barns I've been in, and I've been in quite a few barns, is a messy place. I guarantee you, when Mary went into this place where she was going to give birth to her baby, she wasn't saying, oh, this is nice. 
She wasn't saying, I just love the way the, the color of the rusty nails is picked up by the earth tones of the dirty straw I'm going to be laying on. I don't think she was too impressed. Nobody had gone through this barn and scrubbed it out with Mr. Clean. It looked and smelled the way barns typically look and smell. And in those kinds of barns, you step in stuff, you smell stuff, and you're careful what you touch. The shepherds themselves weren't known for their hygiene. And it's not because they were dirty people. It's just they worked in dirty conditions and they had very dirty, dusty conditions. And, and all around Jerusalem and Bethlehem, it's extremely dry. Israel itself has only a fraction of the water resources that we have here in Canada, a small, small fraction. And around Jerusalem and Bethlehem, very limited access to water. So there really wouldn't have been much of any opportunity to clean themselves up. But they arrived and they found the baby laying in a manger, which is actually a polite way of saying a feeding trough, where they threw the food in for the animals to munch out of. Messy place. I'm going to contend that this is not an accident, that this is not an arbitrary location where Jesus was born. But in fact, God, as he so often does, is making this dramatic point by the location. And he's saying this, Jesus is no ordinary king. Shepherds, you're going to realize as you go into this setting, this new king, who's actually the king of kings and lord of lords, actually you're going to see illustrated in a way you've never seen before. This king has no power. This king has no money. There's no fanfare surrounding this king. There's no applause. There's no newspaper editorials. There's no internet blogs about him. There's no Facebook posts. There's no tweets. There's no Instagram pictures being posted. He's born in a barn, wrapped in rags, surrounded by animal animals, born to a poverty-stricken, disgraced young couple. The king of kings, the lord of lords, the one who created all the universe, the Bible calls him the alpha and the omega. The Bible tells us that he is uncreated. In fact, he was involved in the creation of all that there is. All things, the Bible says, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. We see in Ephesians chapter 1 that all that we have and all that we are is sustained by him. And yet he chooses in Philippians 2, we're told, to step into human history in obscurity, poverty, and humility. This is the call sign of Jesus Christ. And I described all that, and I told you all that, in order to make the point I'm about to make. And I invite you to listen to it. There's no place that Jesus won't go. There's no thing that Jesus won't do. There are no depths that Jesus is not prepared to descend to in order to bring God's power and love and 
saving grace and peace and goodness and his presence to anybody that will have him. Listen to me carefully here. That is how much you matter to him. That's how much you matter. He chose you and you matter to him. And he did all of what I just described and so much more if you know the story at all. He did all of that because you matter to him. And that's the best news this world has ever known. Because if we were really honest about ourselves, we are messy people. And we live in an increasingly messy world. I know there's some good things that go on. I don't deny that at all. We celebrate that. We appreciate that. But in an overall way, the world is just getting a little bit messier every day. And we all contribute to the mess in one way or another. And the good news of this story, of the first Sunday of Advent, is that God is not afraid of a mess. That's where he was born. And he will come right into our life, no matter how messed up our life is. And it's illustrated by the environment into which he was born. This is the call sign of Jesus Christ. And I say this because I come across any number of people who, t who think to themselves, uh, I have to get my life cleaned up before I could look towards God. I've kind of got to do a, a moral scrub job before I would look to Christ. And God's emphatic answer is no. No, I want you to come just as you are. And I will clean up the mess in your life. I'm the one who cleanses any life that's willing to be cleaned up. And this room is full of people who, apart from God, just keep messing up. Whether it's relationally or vocationally or financially or academically or spiritually or morally, um, as a parent, as a child, uh, romantically, whatever the case is, Eddie, you pick the category. And if I was to ask for a show of hands, which I won't do, but if I was to ask for a show of hands in the last 12 months, if you were really honest about it, have you messed up bad in one of those areas? There'd be a lot of hands that would go up. But here's the really good news of Christmas, the really outstanding news of Advent. That doesn't scare Jesus. Because if you know the story at all, you know that he started life in a mess and he ended life hanging on the cross in rags one more time, by the way, covered in blood. And he ended life in a really messy way. And in between that first when he was born and when he died on the cross and then rose from the dead, in between that, he hung out with messed up people every day. And he came to the cross, came to the earth and went to the cross in order to straighten out the whole mess. Which means, we're told in the scripture, that he took all of my mess and all of your mess 
onto himself. The Bible calls it sin. And at Christmas time, the face of God, even though we're told that God is a spirit, but just imagine with me, the face of God beams when someone has the courage to admit to God, I have messed up. I understand everybody else is messed up, but I'm not responsible for anybody else, and they're not responsible for me. I'm not compared to anybody else, and they're not compared to me. I'm only compared to you, God. And I have messed up, and I am messed up apart from you, God. Would you come and clean up the mess in my life? Help me and save me. And so there isn't a Sunday goes by in our church that there isn't someone here who are, is sort of in the shepherd's mode. I'll put it that way. They're in search mode. And so the shepherds, if you know anything about the historical surroundings here, they knew a little bit about Jesus, but not much. They'd heard some things about him growing up and their understanding at that time is that the Messiah, translation Jesus, was going to be a political and a warrior type king. That he was going to come and he was going to raise up an army that would throw off the oppressive Romans and bring the nation of Israel to a place of prominence on the world scene. And this is how they understood him to be. And so this was all new to them, this kind of a humble king like this. And so they make a very dramatic decision. They decide to leave their flocks, which as I referenced earlier, was a big, big deal. Because if these things got carted off or died or whatever, they were done. No insurance back then. They make the decision to leave because something way more important than that flock of sheep had come into their lives. And they go to Bethlehem and they check to see if what the angel has said is absolutely true. And so for you, you might be here wrestling with the shepherd's decision. Should I pursue and seriously check into God? I, I guarantee you, if you were to approach him like this, I'm not even sure if you're there, God. Would you... Would you reveal yourself to me? I believe he will reach out to you. Now, will he reveal your, himself to you like he did the shepherds? Not likely. I'm not saying he wouldn't, but it's not likely. He'll probably reveal yourself through relationship himself, through relationships that you have with other people that have a relationship with Jesus already, maybe through something you read in the Bible, and I encourage you to read it. Take the book of Luke or the book of John and just say, I'm going to read these stories about Jesus. And God, uh, help me understand this stuff. I think he'll help you understand it. He will help point you to Christ. Go to a Bible-believing church like this one. There's many good ones in this city or whatever community you're from. Find a good Bible-believing church and say, I want to find out about you, God. He will reveal himself to you. For others, maybe you're not here in shepherd mode, but you've already committed your life to Christ when you were 
at some point earlier in your life. But in all seriousness, you're just sort of in drift mode right now. You're very casual in your relationship with things. It's time to smarten up, if that's the term. It's time to get serious. It's time to take responsibility and say, yes, I began through Christ a relationship with God, but I want to mature in that relationship. I want to care about the things that God cares about. I want to love people because God loves people. I want to be able to be an example that points people to Jesus. If that has no level of interest to you whatsoever, that's real serious. Real serious. That is not conducive at all to what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Very serious. So say, Lord, you know, forgive me for this. Would you just take me and help me to mature in Christ and to be a person who serves and a person who gives and a life that's transformed. For some of us that are here, maybe you have a a reasonably healthy relationship with God. Not only have you come to Christ, but a reasonably healthy relationship. Maybe you should pray something like this. Lord, here am I. Just surprise me today. I'm available for any way you see fit. And just any number of times in my life when I've prayed this way, um, he does. And it's really cool. And things just sort of come out of left field seemingly, even though they're orchestrated by God. And just opportunities to serve him, opportunities to, to move people one step closer to Christ, opportunities to give, opportunities to sacrifice, and, and the joy that's associated in doing those things. I encourage you to do it. Lord, surprise me today. I'm praying this week. Lord, surprise me this week. And I believe he will. It says in verse 17 that um, when all this had taken place and they'd interacted with Joseph and Mary and the baby, it says then in verse 17, the shepherds went out and they told everybody. They spread the word of what had happened. And people were amazed at the story they shared. And just a real practical example. You've heard Brian talk about it. Aaron's going to reference it as well. Come to Simply Christmas. Come to Simply Christmas. Simply Christmas is one of, and some of you know this, but some of you perhaps don't, is one of three types of, of events that we do every year. We call them CPOs. It's not original with us. Cultivating events, planting events, and reaping events. A cultivating event like we're having this afternoon is an event where, as Jesus was known in Scripture, he was just known as someone who was a friend to sinners. That he hung out with messy people. He didn't let the mess that was in their life um, affect him or be part of his life, but he would hang out with them. He was known as a person who hung out regularly with messy people. The event this afternoon is an opportunity for you to come. Sure, come and have fun. Have fun with your family, all that good stuff. Important stuff to do. But come, invite your neighbors, invite your family or friends, and come and say, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to show the love of Christ to someone that needs it? And so when you're sitting on the hay wagon going for a ride, or when you're having a cup of cocoa or whatever the case is, Let the love of Christ be on display in your life. When you get opportunities, speak about him. 
show people they matter to God because they deeply do. So we do cultivating kinds of events like that. We do planting events where the gospel is presented in a low-key manner. And then we do reaping events where the gospel is presented and we call for people to actively respond. And so we do these things so that you, because we're all called to do them, are able to move and point your friends and your family and those you know or people you just meet at these things to Christ. Something we're all called to do. What kind of king gets born in a decidedly underwhelming, messy place? Well, guess what? It's the king of kings. Not just the king. It's the king of kings. Not just the Lord, the Lord of lords. The one who was there, the one who is here, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, has eternity stamped on him. The one who is available for you right now on your mess. And the shepherds said, let us share the good news, which is for all the people.